0: Well, we're in week two of a series we've been doing on why Christians give. This is the series you've all been longing for for just months, years even. I know some of you have been wondering why you wouldn't get more sermons on money. Actually, last week one of you confessed you'd rather hear a sermon on sex. You know how uncomfortable that is. We've had a few of them. <laughs> but you said, yes, you'd rather actually have me talk about sex again than, 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 than talk about the wallet. I'm loosening you up. I'm trying to loosen you up here. You're supposed to laugh a little, you know. <laughs> so we're looking at the question, why do Christians give? And last week, uh, we looked at the story of the rich young ruler. It was kind of an overlap. With, we, we finished our Mark for now. We'll come back to Mark and. February, but um, we're, we're, we looked at Mark, the rich young ruler, famous story. Guy comes to Jesus, How, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus kind of runs him through the, the list, and he's been a good guy. Uh, but Jesus realizes that really what's at, the, what's at the core of the problem in this man's life is that um, he really loves money more than he loves God. And so Jesus says, well, really, there's only one thing you need to do. It's quite simple. You just give everything away and follow me. And it was too much for this guy we talk about how that was a call to discipleship. It wasn't a call to poverty per se. It was a call to discipleship. It was a call to follow Jesus. And in order to follow Jesus and to really give himself over to Jesus, he had to change allegiances. From an allegiance that was all around his wealth to an identity that was shaped by his money to then an identity shaped by Jesus and a life of discipleship. And we talk about how giving is, is a way that we both remind ourselves and tell ourselves, but also it's a way of, of loosening our, our grip on, on money at, at the heart and recognizing that as Christians, we give because we follow Jesus. We give because he's the one leading our lives. And we asked the question at the start of the last, uh, the last message, why do you give? And you all had opportunities, those of you who are here, to fill out little slips And why do you give? And what we did today to kind of share that, we told you we'd share, it was anonymous, none of you uh, put down your names. Um, what we did is we we kind of put them all together and broke them all up. And we put them on the wall back there. And I invite you to take a look at what we actually only put people up there who say they regularly attend this church. So if they were occasional attenders or non-attenders or visitors, uh, we didn't put them up. And here's why. We would like you, especially if you call Erickson Covenant Church your home, we'd like you to get a picture of, of why people who say this is my home church and this is uh, where I give my money or a lot of my money, um, we want to, we want you to see why that is, to get a picture so that you can be telling each other, you know, like this is why I give and and this is what motivates me. And some of the things that uh, encouraged me, there was a lot of them. Well, they all encouraged me. One of them was one of you said my gifts go back to a place they're referring to the Erickson Covenant Church that brings Jesus loves Jesus love to others. But that was what motivated their giving. Another one was that our budget is growing and our giving needs to grow. That that's motivating their giving. Uh, Another one said, another one of you just said to share God's love, that I give so that we can share God's love. And there was a lot more. So I invite you to take a look there. And if you maybe weren't here uh, last week, and you'd like to contribute to that, you'd like to put your voice into the mix. There's actually some little slips there. You can write it down as well, and even tape. You can tack it on the wall to add your voice to it. uh, To why... We give. Now I qualified to death last week. That those of you who are here maybe for the first time, maybe you haven't been around for a while, maybe you're visiting here today, maybe you're here today and you're saying, Man, I don't even follow Jesus, and now you're talking to money. I just want you to relax. It's actually this is one of those this is one of those messages you get to just look around and watch everybody else kind of squirm. Because I'm not really talking to you. Now, why would I say that? I mean, I think you'll get something out of today. I really do. I, I hope that you'll be challenged today by how we give and why we give. And maybe you'll ask yourself, why do I give? Or maybe, why don't I give? But this, these few uh, messages are really aimed at those of us who would say, this church is my home church. This is where I connect. This is the community of people I'm traveling with. You know, th- this is where I identify. And I, and I, I set the bar pretty, pretty low last week. I'll admit that. This was my, this is my definition. Some of you are sitting here thinking, well, I don't really attend the church. I mean, I've only been coming here for a year and a half, but really, here's the deal. If you're driving by with a friend who's from out of town, and you drive by this building, and you make some reference to the fact that you sort of go there, or that's where our church meets, or something like that, then this sermon is for you. <laughs> but if you cruise by and you go, yeah, that's where the Erickson Covenant Church meets, but I, you know, I'm just kind of drifting around. Well, then we got another sermon to talk about. But, but, but really, this is for those of us who would say, Erickson Covenant Church is our home, and I'd love us to be able to explore why we give. This is good for us, and I, I hope, uh, it'll be a challenge and encouragement to you. So, that's my preface. Let's get into it. Here's my opening question Are you rich? Are you rich? I got a little checklist. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you if you, probing questions. These are very personal. Did you eat today? I know some of you, Kevin, did you eat today? Kevin, Coltman, I'm talking to you. Did you eat today? <laughs> you said yesterday over supper that you skipped breakfast. But today he ate. And he had the choice to do that. Okay, so sorry, Kevin, to put you on the spot like that, but I just, you know... Uh, were you able to access, whoops, sorry, uh, were you able to access clean water within the last day? Okay. Yep. Do you have adequate clothing for the weather? Josh Weens, do you have adequate, uh, you do, okay. Some of us are placing bets, so whether we're ever going to see pants on you, man. All right. Do you have a place to sleep at night? Okay, right, good. Does your house have electricity? Do you own a computer or have access to one? Oh okay. Um, are you able to access medical care when you need it? Yes. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Can you read? Well, somewhat. Do you go to school, or have you gone to school? All right. So, are you rich? Now, some of you are still sitting here thinking, "Yeah, right." I mean, yeah, I mean, all those things are true of me, but really, rich? I mean, I wouldn't define myself as rich. Well. Maybe this little video will help you if you still are in that category. Let's watch it.
1: Number 25. At least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 per day. Number 24. To put things into perspective, the top 20% of the world's population accounts for three quarters of the world's income. Number 23. Half of the world's population accounts for only 5% of the world's income. Number 22. According to UNICEF, 22,000 children die every day due to poverty. Number 21. Nearly one third of children in developing countries are estimated to be underweight or stunted. Number 20. Last year, about 70 million children of primary school age were not in school. Number 19. Nearly a billion people celebrated the coming of the 21st century without being able to read a book or sign their name. Number 18, preventable diseases like malaria afflict nearly 500 million people every year. Number 17, Africa alone accounts for roughly 1 million deaths due to malaria annually. Most of them are children. Number 16, speaking of children, there are 2.2 billion children in the world. Number 15, half of them live in extreme poverty. Number 14. Over 1 billion people have inadequate access to water and 2.6 billion lack basic sanitation. Many times this means there's no separation of drinking water and toilet water. Number 13. That's why 1.8 million children die every year of diarrhea. Number 12. Approximately half of the world's population now lives in cities and about one third of those in the cities live in slum conditions. Number 11. In fact, slum growth is outpacing urban growth by a frighteningly large margin. Number 10. One quarter of humanity lives without electricity. Number 9. The 7 richest people in the world make more than the poorest 41 countries combined. That's roughly 567 million people. Number 8. .14% of the world's population owns over 80% of the world's private financial wealth the vast majority of that wealth has managed to avoid all income and estate taxes either by the countries where it's been invested or where it comes from. Number seven, for every one dollar in aid that a developing country receives over twenty-five dollars is spent on debt repayment. Number six, the poorer the country the more likely it is that the debt repayments are being extracted directly from the people who neither contracted the loans nor received any money. Number five, in 1998 8 billion dollars was spent on cosmetics in the United States 11 billion dollars was spent on ice cream in the European Union 17 billion dollars was spent on pet food in Europe and the US 100 billion dollars was spent on alcohol in Europe 400 billion dollars was spent on narcotics globally and 780 billion dollars was spent on militaries around the world number four in the same year 6 billion dollars was spent on achieving basic education for all 9 billion was spent on basic water and sanitation, and 13 billion was spent on basic health and nutrition for all. Number 3. If you're reading this list then you are in the top 30% of the world's population when it comes to poverty and wealth. Number 2. With new technologies we now grow enough food to feed 10 billion people or one and a half times the world's population. The problem is that most of the world can't afford to buy that food. And Number 1. If the world spent less than 1% of what it spends on weapons, all the previously mentioned issues would be fixed. So are you rich? Yeah.
0: Now, some of you are really rich. Some of you are moderately rich. Some of you are basically rich. But I think we could all say that we're rich. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there might still be someone here today who says, I'm not rich. <laughs> you're rich, Cameron. Trust me, in the world standards, you're really rich. But I just why would I ask this today? Why would I ask the question, Are you rich? It's really, really important because actually the scripture passage today only applies to the rich. That's all it applies to. So if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, after all that I'm not rich, well, I guess you don't have to listen today. But for the rest of us who said, Yeah, I'm rich, I mean, I am rich. Then God has something to say to us, something challenging, something provoking. I think something encouraging and something inspiring. So I I hope you're ready to get into it. The Apostle Paul, you heard the words, mentoring this younger pastor, Timothy, told him to to say this to rich people. I love how he's writing a letter to him telling him to say it to rich people. I think Paul probably did too, but he tells he tells Timothy, say this to those who are rich. And so I am going to tear a page out of Paul's book and I'm going to, as your young pastor, go out on a limb and try to do the same. So here, here we go. Here it says, command those who are rich in this present world, which I think all of us qualify for that, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Can I just talk, Chris? There's a... When I speak up loud, maybe I should just be quiet, right? But there's a, woof, a hum or a feedback or something. I don't know if you need to take my game down a little or what. I'm not sure. So there's the commands. Now, us rich folks, you and I, we don't necessarily like being commanded. Do you like getting commands? Because commands in my books remind me a little bit more of like dog competitions. I think I had a picture of it. Next slide. There we go. We Think of commands. Or worse, I think of a military boot camp. But for some of you, really, commands really come home to bear when you go to the gym. There you go. Or you've hired a fitness trainer. But commands are not something that we like, particularly those of us who are rich. So I hope you're ready for some commands this morning. Let me ask you, rich people of the Creston Valley, are you ready for a command? The silence was deafening. Rich people of the Creston Valley, are you ready for a command? Okay, here it is. Put your hope in God, not goods. Put your hope in God, not goods. I mean, that's really what Paul is saying to Timothy to tell these rich people. Don't put your hope in your goods. Why is this a level of... Why is this a command, not a suggestion? Why is this something that Paul doesn't... I mean, Paul, he chalks a lot of stuff up to into Christian freedom and, and walking in the Spirit. Why would he go so boldly and say to Timothy, Look, you look those rich people right in the eyes and you say... Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth. Put your hope in God. Command them to do it. I think it's because we don't listen to suggestions when it comes to our money. We have a hard time with gentle little reminders that we should be generous. We have a hard time because our hope is so locked in to the things that the world tells us is security. Our money, our wealth, our our position, We're so locked into that that we need the kind of command to shake us up. To remind us that, wow, yeah, right, oh, right, I've been living my life like my hope is in my stuff. That my hope is in my goods and I need to be rattled a little bit with this command so that I can wake up and realize, right, my hope isn't in my goods, my hope is in God. He gets our attention. It's so easy when we become rich, when we become comfortable, for our hope to drift toward the goods themselves that God has provided and to take our eyes off the God who has been providing them for us. I mean, God gives us all these good things. He even says for us to enjoy them. But when we get into that space and we are starting to really enjoy the goods and we're starting to feel comfortable in life, it's surprising how quickly our hope can shift from the God who actually provided this for us to the stuff. In our lives. And so we're told, I'm told, as a rich person, don't put your hope in your goods, put your hope in God. God provides the goods in our lives, and we can so easily forget the source of that world. We can actually start believing that, you know, we're the reason why we're rich, that we're the reason why we have so much, that I actually deserve it, you know. I worked hard for this. We forget the fact, of course, that there's hardworking people all over the world but because of where they were born the zip code they were born in and they work hard and they don't have have nothing so it's not really because you and i were somehow extra special we sort of got the the zip code lottery we were born in a good spot we easily begin to think that somehow the stuff we have the goods we have it isn't because god provided it for us it's because we provided it for us and though as christians and as jesus followers we can often give lip service to the fact that our hope is in god in actual practice, we live our life as though our hope is in our stuff. Our security is in our investments. The reason why we can look to the future with, with, with hope and security is not because God is the one richly providing for us, but because we ourselves have somehow got our stuff lined up. We begin to see ourselves as masters of our own fate or kings of our own domain. And that's where the arrogance comes from. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, look, tell them not to be arrogant. Tell them not to put their hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, to get their hope right, to remember that there is a God and it's not money. You know, some of you have been around long enough to see what happens when markets crash. Maybe you even remember what it was like growing up in the 30s and and, and seeing lives decimated change. Some of you have seen the markets go up and down. You've seen times of really, really high unemployment. You've seen times when the interest rates were crazy and people were really, really shaken up. Most of us can remember just recently what happened in 2008. I I, I know people who all of a sudden their retirement was pushed off many, many years because of losses that they incurred in that downturn. I know people who had already retired who went back to work. I know marriages that failed because of investments that failed. 2008 hit people pretty hard. And that's rough stuff, and I'm not denying any of the tragedy and the difficulty that happened through that. But how much worse is it if their hope is in the wealth itself instead of in the God who provided it? The wealth is uncertain. The markets go up and down. Terrible things happen in our lives, and if our hope is in the stuff, we're in for a rough ride. So Paul calls us, us rich people, not to place our hope in our wealth, Whether we got a little or we got a lot, but to fix our attention on the God who richly provides for us everything that we need. So, what's the takeaway? Why do Christians give? We give because our hope is in God, not goods. And giving is this practical way that we keep our hope in God. Because every time we give, we say, My trust is not in my stuff, my trust is not in my goods. This is not the stuff that secures my future. I give as a practical way of saying, my hope is in God, not in my goods. And I can live generously because I serve a generous God who richly provides everything I need and even allows me to enjoy it. I love how at the end of that uh, little verse, you know, God richly provides everything for our enjoyment. So this isn't a God who's a killjoy. This is a God who says, no, I've given you food to enjoy. I've given you friendships. I've I've given you everything you need to live the life I've called you to live and to really enjoy the gifts that you've been given. And we can truly do that when our hope is in God and not in our stuff. Because when our hope is in our stuff, we have a hard time actually enjoying it. Because we feel insecure about it. We feel we need to hoard it. We need to guard it. But when our hope is in God, we can then enjoy and live generously. Well, Paul goes a little further on than that. When we think of our giving, what do we give to? Or better yet, maybe, what is the focus of our giving? He goes on to give another command. The second command is this. Command them, who? The the rich, us, the rich, yeah, that's right. To do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Or, here's another way to put it, use the goods God gives to do the good God wants. Try to say that really fast, because I did this week and got a little tongue-tied. Use the goods God gives to do the good God wants. That's what he essentially moves to. Not only are we commanded to hope in God, not in goods, we're actually told to do something with the goods, with the money, with the wealth that God has given us. And this is very, very important because what happens here is that it gets practical. It puts it right in the ground. It would be so easy. We're so trained in this. It would be so easy for us to say, my hope is in God. I don't trust in my wealth. And then walk away feeling like everything's okay, but not really giving anything, not really sacrificing anything. Not really putting it on the ground. You see, generosity doesn't actually exist in theory. It only exists in practice. And so what we're being challenged here to do is say, look, because our hope is in God, we can take the riches and the goods and the stuff and the wealth that God has provided, and we can actually use it to do the good in the world that God so deeply desires. Makes it very, very practical. This command moves us from who we hope in how we express that hope in our giving very simply we give because god commands us to he commands us to use our goods for the sake of that good that god wants to do that good ranges across the board god's desire to see lives changed god's desire to see children have fresh water god's desire to see women and children saved out of sex trafficking god's desire to see people come to know that they matter to him god 's desire for people to experience his holy spirit to come into a community of people who are following jesus god 's desire to to actually bring peace into regions of the world that have tremendous conflict god 's desire to bring medicine to people that haven 't had access to it this is god 's heart healing whole people and so he challenges us rich people to get in on that to be part of what he 's doing. The way that God provides for others we think of some of those stats we heard when we see people in our own valley, we see people in the world. The way that God provides for others is through the people he's already provided for. You understand that, right? The money doesn't fall from heaven. It comes from our wallets. It comes from us. That's how God is providing for others. That's how God is making a difference in people's lives. That's how God is helping people understand who Jesus is. That's how God is bringing food and water and light and literacy to people's lives it's it's through others who've received and want to share they recognize that god has provided all this for me yes so i can enjoy it but also so i can be part of what he's doing to bring the goodness of god to others lives so they too can enjoy it and then look what paul finishes with he says in this way in what way well as we use our money to do good to 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 give generously to share In this way, they, the rich, will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's a lot of talk about investments. Some of you are really into that. You're good investors. God bless your investments so that you can use it in the ways that we're talking about. There's a lot of investments out there. There's good investments, bad investments, aggressive investments, risky investments, blue chip, short term, long term. Paul points us toward the greatest monetary investment that we can make, and it's absolutely incredible. Here's how this investment works. While enjoying what God has actually provided for us, like living the life and enjoying it, not walking around feeling guilty or ashamed, but enjoying the gifts that God has given us, we are able to generously share without fear, making a real difference in people's lives, both now and and for eternity, which results in the type of solid investment that will actually last for eternity. I just want to say, hedge funds of the world, eat that. You know? No market crash can destroy this investment. No downturn in the economy will actually ruin what you've invested. We're called to take the wealth that we've been given, the riches we've been given, And not only enjoy the gifts that God has given us, but to actually get in with God and make a difference in people's lives as He has generously made a difference in ours. It's an extraordinary challenge with an incredible promise to use our money today to make an eternal investment. Here's the bottom line. Hope in God spurs faithful giving. But hope in wealth spawns selfish fear. And so the question is, where is our hope? Now, I'd love to hear your response. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know some of you are probably wanting to raise some questions. Some of you may have things you'd like to add. Some of you might like to push back. That's fine too. But I'd like us to have a few moments talking about this because I think it's important that as we discuss why do we give, as we talk about being rich, that we have an opportunity to share with one another. And I realize how risky this is. I realize how, you know, different it is maybe to talk about giving or talk about wealth or talk about riches. I also recognize that for some of us, we're trapped in situations that don't enable us to give very much financially. I understand that. Some of us, because we made really bad decisions and we're carrying lots of debt. Right? Some of us, because we didn't make bad decisions, but we're still carrying lots of debt. And I believe that there is still the challenge to give, but there's actually a whole bunch of financial stuff in your life that needs to actually take shape so that you can become truly generous the way that God wants you to be generous. Now, I don't think that should stop you from giving, but I realize it affects your giving. Some of you are in relationships with spouses or partners that don't enable you to give as well. And I recognize that, and I really respect that. And you find other ways to give. Some of you are challenged because today you maybe realize I haven't really been giving. I've been chipping in a 20 here and there, but this is really challenging me because I've realized my hope has been in my wealth. And this challenge to give is is really hitting me close to home. And I feel defensive and I feel angry. And I feel like I want to debate a few of those stats on the screen. I, I want to push back, but you're maybe recognizing that it also means there's something in there that God is saying to you and wants to provoke you. Well, I'd love to, I'd love to hear what you have to say. So I'm wondering, Roger, would you walk around with a microphone? And uh, do you have any comments, questions, things you'd like to add to this conversation around being rich and uh, putting our hope in God, not in our goods, and using the goods that God gives to provide for others, to do the good God wants in others' lives. Ruth.
1: A few years ago, when I didn't have very much money to give, I was reading in Isaiah 58, and it's on fasting, and it says, this is the fast, you know. And it is is it not to share your food with the hungry? And, yeah, and at that time, there was an opportunity to help another single mom with food. So it's, you know, there's always different ways to give. So. That's right. Thanks, Ruth. Roger, Steph?
2: So when it comes to motivation for giving, um, you know, the story of Ananias and Sapphira, they didn't give with very um, honest hearts. Um, So when you're giving towards an organization um, and they give a tax receipt, um, is that giving for the purpose of receiving
0: back? Or is that just giving with an open hand and not expecting in
1: return? Okay.
0: Thanks. Uh, Can I say two things? So the story of Anastasia of Fire is a very odd story in Acts. But it's a story where they misrepresented their giving, like literally they, they tried to make out to the church that they were being more generous than they were. So for, the, the, the story is they sold a pa- parcel of land. So let's, let's imagine they sold, um, 20 acres in Lister for $300,000. And, but they came to the church and they said, we sold a parcel of land in Lister for $200,000 and we're giving it all to Jesus. As though they're, it is incre- in reality, they're holding back 100000 bucks, And they weren't telling me, I weren't being honest. and. And it was, it was a, there was a danger of the church's mission being derailed at that point, I believe, because they would have, rightly or wrongly, probably ended up in leadership positions because of that. And it would have been corruption right at the heart of the church. And God struck them dead. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty strong story. Not, not the average offering talk that we give around here. But it's a powerful story about honesty and misrepresentation and, and, and lying to the Holy Spirit. It's a very, very strong story. Now, uh, and so I think that has to sort of stand on its own. Now, how that relates to tax receipt, you know, Christians have, have given generously to the church and to their neighbor all through, all through the history of the church. We happen to live in a country that has some religious roots and has expanded that to allow charitable giving to be tax receivable. It's one of the ways the government helps us do their responsibilities (laughs) because if we will support certain programs, then it, you know, so it's a a way of the government acknowledging that this work that's being done by churches and by charitable organizations and stuff is good work. And so it's it's a way of offsetting that. It's also a way of allowing us to give more because by, if we think at the end of the day, I only have, I really do only have so much money to go around and I have to pay the government this amount of taxes, well, if the government will reduce that amount, it enables me to give more. So should our motivation be... I haven't met too many people where their motivation for giving is a tax receipt. I think what has happened is the tax receipt or the ability to give um, from their investments or whatever have enabled them to simply give more. That's been my experience. Or it's been, it's been the question... I know one business person who said to me, well... when." Because I can donate this way, I can give before-tax dollars as opposed to after-tax dollars. I don't have as many dollars after taxes. So before taxes, I can simply give more. That's been my experience with giving and tax receiving. So we can be thankful for that. I think what we all acknowledge is that if the tax receiving were to dry up tomorrow, we are still called to be generous and to give. So that can enable more giving, perhaps, but it shouldn't be our motivation for giving, and it shouldn't be what this would stop our giving if we didn't have a tax receipt. Does that make sense, Steph? That, that's at least my understanding of it. It's just something that uh, we can be thankful for. It, it can enable people to give a bit more, uh, but it should not be our the basis or the motivation of our giving. We're motivated by by our. We're, that's what we're looking at in this series, we're motivated by the fact that God has given us so much and that part of how, why he's given it to us is so that we can get in on what he's doing and use that wealth and use that uh, stuff to make a difference in people's lives. That that's our, we're motivated because we're followers of Jesus. We're motivated by what he's doing in the world, by his kingdom coming, and we just want all of our lives to be given to him and money's part of that. Morgan. I guess this kind of ties into motivation and it's more... Personal observation than anything, but I, something I need to overcome with my giving, and it's not necessarily so much with the church, but just when you see a homeless person, um, there's often this just perception that, oh, they're going to spend that money on drugs, so what's the point in giving to them? Or, like, I mean, maybe the better bet is to take them right to a grocery store and buy them groceries. Um, and then the other thing is, like, when you give to charitable organizations, like I heard once a statistic that when you give to World Vision, every dollar you give to them, only five cents actually goes to the kid that you're hmm. sponsoring. That's not true. It's not true. Well, that's good to know. It's but 80, 81%. 81% percent of World Vision goes it. directly to the program. 13% to fundraising. Oh, I forget the rest of the breakdown. Just looked at it yesterday. You did your homework. <laughs> I love World Vision. Yeah? I think they're doing phenomenal stuff. So, yeah. But there are organizations, MCC, for example, Minority Central Committee, more of your money goes to the project. Do understand the reason why that's true is because they've got other donors who would offset. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if it costs me $30,000 to run a program, and I want to say to you, but every dollar you give will get, go to the kids, well, then I have to go to somebody else and say, would you cover this 30000 bucks so that the, all the money can go to the kids? It's still a cost, right? It's still, put, put boots on the ground, it costs. Um, but, yeah, do your research on that. Yeah. There are better organizations and, and organizations that have higher overhead. But all organizations have overhead. It's just how they cover it is the question. Uh, but I, I do hear that struggle, Morgan, yeah. yeah. Around, around giving to people on the street, as it were, just yesterday, Tamil and I were asked to contribute to someone's welfare uh, in Nelson. And, um, you know, that's a personal decision people need to make. And, and I think from my experience with people who work, have worked um, as on, the, on the street with folks, um, there's usually programs and there's usually there's, there's some wisdom that's needed in there. I don't want to make any judgments on that. I think there's times where the spirit may say, look, buddy, give up your five bucks, if not for him, for you. And, and then there's other times where wisdom just says, no, I'll maybe buy them lunch, or maybe I'll just say, no, not today. No thanks. And and, uh, we need to allow for some uh, spiritual discernment on that. But I do love what C.S. Lewis said. He was walking along with a friend once, and somebody asked him for some money. and So C.S. Lewis just uh, copped up a couple pounds and gave it to him. And and then as they walked on, his friend was quite quiet, quite silent about it. It bothered him. So finally he said, You know he's just going to spend that on drink. And C.S. Lewis responded saying, You know, if I'd kept it, I probably would have done that too. (laughs) And it's a reminder that there's times when we have to remember that, yeah, you know, um, uh, we want to live generously. I don't want to not give because I'm stingy. So if I choose not to give out of wisdom, out of discernment, that's one thing. But if I choose to give because, hey, buddy, this is my money. I'm not going to, you know. Then I think we as Christians need to examine our hearts and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. We need to be we need to be generous people that are living life out of gratitude, and that that's where the spirit needs to work in our hearts. Yeah, Dave, and then Brian, and then Christy. Where is Roger? Over here, Dave Handy.
1: As a community, we are inundated with requests right. for for good needs, um, and there are causes that are that are worthwhile mm-hmm. that don't include this building and don't include the Covenant Church and don't include our our giving. In this in this aspect, what is the scriptural direction about recognizing our priorities? Because as I look around, we all have a limited ability to give and 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 sometimes a limited will, whatever it is. What is the scriptural direction in terms of how we discern that? Because and especially between now and this Christmas season, Mm We will be inundated with worthwhile requests, That's right. usually at 5.30 on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I get rude. Those are
0: the ones you shouldn't respond to. But uh, Thank you, Dave. And that is, a, that is a great question. I'd actually love to hear how others have have actually discerned that. Because I, I mean I completely agree with you. Our giving, the bulk of our... I'm, I'm going to be very transparent with you guys here. So to, for Tini and I, the bulk of our giving goes to the church. Uh, but another... Uh, significant amount goes to uh, World Vision and to InterVarsity Christian Fellowship because we really believe in those. And, and because we're giving uh, significantly and generously, uh, it allows us to then say to other organizations, I love what you're doing. God bless you. Uh, but our giving is, we're, we're actually where we need to be. Now, at times, we'll be prompted to give something to a particular organization, or a particular missionary, or a particular person or situation. And I'm talking about now about regular giving. But but it, 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 we, you have to make decisions that include wisdom and your heart passion and what you're excited about. Uh, in terms of the decision to give to, to this church, I think there's a number of things you can talk about. There's, there's the, the, all through the scripture. One of them is that we're called to take care. I'm just going to put it right out there. That if you call this church home, you're called to take care of your, your pastors, uh, those who teach you, those who teach your kids. So there's a responsibility to... To kind of to the um, the people that the church has said we're going to support them so that they can lead and can teach. So there's an o- there's an obligation there. Um, there's also practices in in the early church of giving to brothers and sisters or giving so that mission missions could happen. And so you know the way we do church in, in this century is different than how the early church did it. But what we saw is the early church. Pouring out generously, selling stuff, giving what they had to enable uh, certain uh, leaders, certain missionaries, certain teachers to care for the poor among them. Basically, so that they could live the life that God had called them to live together. And so, how does that work out for you? Does that mean that say, say you say you do give 10%, and I'm not a guy who believes that 10% is a is a, a it's a biblical number, but it's not the number you have to give. Uh, many of us should give more than 10%. That's the real honesty. So 10%, I don't want you to limit your giving to 10%. Uh, uh, and yet some of us, 10% is a lot for us to give. So we might need to start at a 4% or 5%. Uh, but 10% is a great number. It's, for a math genius like me, it makes it really simple. Um, how much do I give? And uh, so we need to decide out of, let's say I'm giving 10%. And I'm bringing home four grand a month or something like that. Say, I'm bringing home four grand a month and I want to give 10%. So that's 400 bucks. And, and, and for me personally, I would say well over half that should go to the church. I'm just being honest. Uh, but you need to decide that yourself. You need to decide that as you talk about it as a family. You decide in prayer. And I think we, we want to be giving our money where our hearts are invested, where we're excited about what God is doing where we're committed to the mission that, that is being unfolded, whether it's clean water or whether it's, uh, you know, engineers or whether it's, it's uh, ch- child sponsorships or whether, you know, we need, to, we need to, to do that or supporting organizations that fight trafficking. We need to say, this is an organization I really believe in, but I think we need to more than just give our money. We need to get alongside, we need to get to know who they are so that we're supporting them in prayer and financially, and maybe even in other ways, as there are opportunities. Um, so rather than giving 20 bucks here and 20 bucks there and 100 bucks here, I say to be more strategic with our giving, give to your church, and we 're going to get into that in a minute, but give to your church, a give to your community, but pick some organizations that are representative of where God has shaped your heart, because we 're shaped differently, right and there's certain things that you're really passionate about, and I think you should give there. and there's others and that 's where the diversity of the body comes into play. Some of you are super passionate about Bible translation. You should pick an organization like Wycliffe or there's others that you want to invest your money into to help the scriptures come to life in people's mother languages. Do that. Some of you are passionate about kids at camp. Support a Bible camp. Support our Bible camp. Whatever. But support it. And uh, you know put, put your money into an area where you're, you're, there's enough of a heart that you want to pray for it and see it, see it happen. But I do think as a church, as a Christian, that your primary giving should go to your local church. Now, does anyone want to argue with me on that? You're welcome to. I'm just you asked, so I told you. Or maybe someone would like to add how they've discerned their giving practices, like how much they give, where uh, you don't have to name your number, but how you figured out the percentage. Anyone want to add to that? We will get to to the next questions. But Judy, do you want to add to that?
1: Um, I was just going to say, when we give to the local church, um, I think we have to still in our hearts and in our minds, um, really focus on we are giving it to God Mm. so that if we don't like what's going on in the local church at the present moment, we don't feel we have the right to withdraw our giving Um, because that becomes a political thing then. But we have to open-handedly give it to God, entrust it to Him and um, be at rest in that.
0: Thank you, Judy. Anyone else want to add to that conversation? Brooke does. We will come around back to you, Christy and Daryl.
2: Some of the scripture verses around uh, giving that I've been looking at um, deal with give where you're being fed is one of the principles of scripture. So like this is where we're fed. This is where we come. We get teaching Um, and, you know, some of you and some of, you know, I sometimes on like a radio show or. An area that's actually feeding me and it's not all about me getting like there's some organizations that I give to because I believe in what they're doing and it's very important but but I know that very seldom do we ever talk about you know like the commitment to my church is because this is where the the work of the Lord is happening and it is also feeding me in the way that this is the community that I belong to so um, the other thing that has really governed me in giving is you know No, the spirit of God does amazing things all over the world. And I just want to be on that train and on that wave no matter what. So I just got to be, you know, praying and asking the Lord, which wave do I need to get on to be where you are? Because as you support that, you know, the blessings that come with supporting something that's working incredibly in the world for the kingdom. I mean, it's just exponentially given back.
0: Thanks. Anyone else want to add to that particular conversation of how? you have figured out who to give to and how to give to the the local church. Anyone want to add to that conversation? Okay, Darrell.
1: In giving to the poor and the homeless, I think one of the biggest opportunities we have in doing that is sharing Jesus with them. Mm -hmm. You can give that money or take them for food and stuff, but that's an opportunity to share the love and openly say that. And I guess the ministries I'm involved in today, that is the biggest thing, is to be able to share what God has done in your life And share that with those people as you share with them. So it's an opportunity to share Jesus.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, showing love and care. And Roger, I don't know if you know her, but her name is Christy. She has a question. So
2: I think one of the more important considerations in this is that the money that we have isn't actually our own to begin with. Everything that we have is because God has given it to us. We are incredibly blessed in North America. And you know, it's not because of me and it's not because of how, I don't know, everything that I have comes from God. And therefore, whatever I give was God's to begin with. It was never mine. And I think like personally, I, I have held on to my money a lot out of fear hmm. that if I, if I give it away, maybe I'm not going to be able to eat. Maybe I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. Maybe I can't pay off my credit card, you know? And, um, In that, I think I I lose sight of the fact that my hope is in God, not in my cash. Um, Along those lines, um, my dad had a saying that said, God's never missed a payment. And his hope was in God. And his giving came first. So out of his paycheck or whatever he made, he put his whatever, whatever he had determined to give, he took it out first and let God worry
0: about the rest. Thanks. Thanks, Laura. Good example. Dwayne at the back, Roger.
2: Well, I guess I've asked myself the question through the years if my trust and my hope is really in God, do I really need to insure everything that I own? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you can't drop that bomb, Dwayne, and then hand the microphone back. Do you want to talk a little more about that? But I bet you do insure your stuff. Well, you're not gonna say it out loud, it's on tape, isn't it? There's wisdom. We use wisdom just like we invest with wisdom. I think what the challenge is, and I like what you said, Christy, there's a, for a people, for for many of us, not for all of us, I do recognize that some of us have come from pretty poor situations. I, I do acknowledge that. For most of us, though, we've never really known what it was like to be a little worried about the next meal. We've never really known what it's like to have Um, what many, many of our brothers and sisters around the world carry every single day, concern about basic needs. I wonder sometimes if God isn't asking us to give in such a way that we would, even for a moment, feel a little bit anxious about that. I don't mean the anxiousness is good, but just in the sense of like, oh, right, oh, right, I can maybe, as I live generously, I can identify a little more with those who struggle to meet some of those basic needs. As I said last week, again, quoting C.S. Lewis, he actually argued that Christian giving should be at the level that there are certain things we cannot do because we've chosen to give. You know, like like literally, we can't go out for dinner because we made a commitment to give. Or, you know, there's a certain thing I'm not going to be able to do anymore that I previously had done or enjoyed because I've actually made this commitment financially for the next two years or whatever. And that's, that's personal, but that's an interesting challenge because there's something in that for us. Let's be honest, we kind of want to push back against that and say, I shouldn't have to sacrifice. But actually, the work that God is doing right here in this church, the work that God is doing in this valley, the work that God is doing through amazing organizations around the world, it's, it's worth us maybe... Like skipping a latte once in a while. It really is when you put it on the ground. And, and so, I, I, the, you know, there's a personal journey for us, but I think as we give, God's Spirit is able to lead us and teach us about the condition of our own hearts, about the location of our hope, about the ways that we, subtly or otherwise, become people who've placed their security and their identity in. The provisions, as opposed to the God who so richly provides. So let's get really practical here. Um, as I said last week, it would be it would be terrible not to give you a very very practical way to respond to this sermon. Wouldn't it? It would be a tragedy. It'd be like it'd be like malpractice on the part of the pastor if you didn't have a very clear way to respond. And and so I want to give you I want to put it down to three three things today. And that, the first one is, is, and we talked about it, is, is giving to the church. You can go... Oh, we were, we're a few slides behind there, Ethan, sorry. All right. In doing good, being rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share, I wanted to say there's three practical ways to do it. The first one is giving to your church. Can you hit the next slide button? There we go. That was just last week, right here in this community. And Chantel was baptized. Chantel is not here today. Is she here? She is protecting our borders today, folks. Um... Chantel has come to know Jesus just in the last year in this community and has made a decision to follow Jesus, and it has been wonderful to see her journey. She is among quite a number of others who are making decisions to follow Jesus, who made decisions even this weekend to follow Jesus. Man, when we give to the church, we are helping people find Jesus. Do we realize that? When you decide at the end of the month, you make 3000 bucks a month or 4000 bucks a month or 5000 10000 I don't know what you make. But when you sit down and decide, I'm going to give 20% of this to the local church, I'm telling you, that investment is yielding eternal results in people's lives. And that's exciting stuff. Now, does some of your money go to turn the heat on in this building, which is not the church? And I know, some of you are sitting around and going, yes, and I'm, this morning I'm very appreciative of that. Those of us who are on the Alpha Weekend in the Nelson Covenant Church, man, somebody has got to tell them <laughs> that they've got to start a whole separate fund on their heating. Hmm. And I, I, I seriously think their giving would really increase because that was a cold building. Okay. Warm people, cold building. So, yes, there's stuff that we, that the money that we give to this, this community goes into the, some of the apparatus, some of the. But you know what? It's all about as we've said it over and over again, helping people find and follow Jesus. And that, my friends, is highly motivational to me. That when I decide to give 300 bucks a month to the church, when I make that commitment, when I sign up online or fill out the form or write the check, that I'm giving that because I want to help people find and follow Jesus. And I'm willing to sacrifice for that. I'm willing to give generously for that. So I got to tell you that though you asked for this series, I did tell you that last week, right? You asked for it. In May, at a meeting some of you may have missed, but your compatriots asked for it. Um, And we've been talking honestly with you and trying to figure out as a leadership team how to convey honestly with you about the fact that yes, our budget has grown and is growing. Yes, our giving has grown tremendously. But the fact is, our giving needs to increase a lot more. It really does. Then, I've got to tell you, I really want us, we as a leadership team, and I think you as a community. We want to go into this new year not behind budget. We don't want to. We want to go into this new year strong. We're about a month behind in giving. Not huge, not serious. Our bank account has money in it. But our budget, and our budget represents the things that we as a community said, this is important stuff. This is about people finding and following Jesus. And there's things related to our kids, and yes, there's things related to our building, and there's things related to missions that we weren't able to do this year because we were a bit short on finances. So I've got to tell you, just laying it right out, I'm hoping that as we kind of work through the finances of our own personal lives, that it will result in an increase in giving. Some of you have never really sat down, looked at your books and said, I need to give a certain percentage. That's new, new stuff for you. And, and I'm going to encourage you to do that. Pick a percentage, any percentage. Pick it, stick with it for a while, see when you can increase it. That's a good practice. And it's all wrapped up in the why we give and and, and all about our hope in God. But it's also connected to the fact that we're excited about what God is doing in our lives. We're excited about what God is doing in others' lives. And we want to see this community flourish. We want to see more people in the Creston Valley come to find and follow Jesus. Don't you? That's what we want to see, right? And so that's why we give to this church. And it's connected to, yes, it's connected to my salary. It's connected to the heat. It's connected to running alpha. It's connected to curriculum. It's connected to leaky roofs. It's connected to all that. But it's so that we as a community can be the kind of community where people actually find Jesus, where people discover the love that Jesus has for them and the desire he has for them to follow him for the rest of their lives. It changes everything. That's why we give to our church. But we don't only give to our church. And so I wanted to highlight two other things as well. And this might be for some of you who are here today and thinking, but I don't go to this church. Or I'm not sure even what I think about Jesus. Well, here's your giving options. Supplies to everyone, but especially maybe to you. The next one is our Christmas hampers coming up. It's an example of a way that you can give to your community. You can certainly give financially. You can give food. We even have a trolley out in the foyer where we're collecting non-perishable food items for the hamper program this year. The hamper program, which many of you have helped with, we give out about 430 to 450 hampers in the Christmas season to families in our valley who really need help. And, and I love I I it because I think we're giving, we're giving a certain measure of joy at Christmas because we're taking away some of that stress. And we're enabling these families to have a terrific Christmas. They have toys for their kids. They have an awesome uh, Amount of food, and it, it's a pretty awesome amount of food. I, I really do think it is, and, and so we have an opportunity to serve by volunteering. It's the it's the December, fifteen sixteen. What is that Monday? Fifteen sixteen. Thank you, Chuck. It's the Monday, Tuesday, December fifteen sixteen. You have an opportunity to come to serve with your time. You can give money, which it not only helps the hampers, but all through the year, the Minister Association kind of stewards that and meets specific needs throughout the year. Something I'm quite involved in, and others. And then you can, uh, you can also uh, give items, toys and, and, and food as well. So there's a really, really obvious one that's coming up, really practical. But there's other ways we can give in our community. There's other organizations in our community. There's other uh, people in need, your neighbor, and, and, uh, and, and the opportunity we have to just live generously with the people around us. Some of that generosity is financial, I get it. A lot of it's just your time. A lot of it's just your life, just opening up your life, your dinner table. Uh, your coffee shop, whatever it is, to people's lives. So give to your community. And then the third practical one we want to highlight this morning is within the covenant family, there's an opportunity this Christmas. It's it's like other uh, gift catalogs that are out there. I get it. World Vision and, and others do it. Uh, next slide. But there's this covenant cares. And, and we have highlighted a bunch of opportunities you have to give this Christmas. They're on that little tree that is kind of acting like a Christmas tree right now, but it's, ficus anyway hanging on there are different opportunities It's things like crystal kind of put you on the spot can you read some of those that are on that tree right there just shout them out what are some of the things on there how, how much are they when they, so disaster response kit how much is that 50 bucks 250 bucks to turn on somebody's lights 75 bucks vital medication how much was 145 uh what was it a pig that's about what we pay here that's awesome Goats, chickens, right? Oh, thanks, Chris. So that's great. So there's uh, really neat opportunities. You can uh, fight sex trafficking. You can give do- domestic violence training. You can, like, a whole range of things for a range of prices from 50 bucks up to 500 bucks. Goats and pigs and the whole nine yards. Making a real practical difference alongside existing programs. Good stuff that's happening throughout the Covenant Church worldwide. What I love about that is not only is it a, a, you know, a, an important gift, but it's a great way for you and I to involve our kids in Christmas giving. I suggest that you maybe, with your kids today even, wander over there and ask, Hey, which one should we give to this year? Which one would you want us to give to? And then see if they... I would encourage them to contribute some money to that. But together as a family, turn on somebody's lights, provide vital medication, fight trafficking, buy a goat. That's the kind of goat, the only kind of goat we're ever going to purchase, sorry, Bonnie, is going to be a goat on a piece of paper that we send overseas, right, Tanil? Can I get an amen from my wife? Okay, so uh, it's the only goat we're going to purchase. Okay, so uh, there's awesome opportunities, and this is, uh, I love it because it's practical, it's real, it's, it's, it's reminding us. It's reminding our kids, too, that we're rich. I mean, if we're buying somebody vital medication, if we're buying someone literacy, it's a reminder of what we really have. So there's three practical ways. I want you to examine your own personal financial giving to the church. Do that, please. We need you to. God needs you to. And the people of this valley need you to do that. But also ask, how can I, this Christmas, perhaps, give generously of myself to the valley? To the families around? Do I need to invite someone over for a meal? Do I need to invite someone into the Advent season with me? Do I, what, what do I need to do? Serving at Hampers is a great opportunity. And then do take a look at the practical ways that we can serve through the covenant family, but meeting some real needs in people's lives. We give because our hope is in the God who has provided so richly for us all that we can enjoy. We give because we're excited about what God is doing in us and through us. And we give as a way of saying, God, you are the one we're following. You are the one our allegiance is to. So today, as the offering plates are passed, man is going to lead us in the next song. But I pray that as you give today and as you examine your giving over the next few weeks, that you'll be inspired to give the way that God has called us to give. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful for your gifts to us. And today I pray that each one of us, as really rich people, that we would place our hope in you, that we would not be arrogant, that we would not place our hope in wealth, but that we would place our hope in you, that God who has so richly provided for us everything for our enjoyment. And then as a result of that hope that we placed in you and that recognition of your generosity, we would truly be rich in good good deeds. We would truly be generous and willing to share. We'd be the kind of community that says, people matter more than our money. The kingdom of God is what we're going to live into. And if we can use our money to help people find you, Jesus, if we can use our money to bring clean water, if we can use money to touch people's lives, Jesus, we are all over that. So I pray for that challenge and that encouragement in our lives. Jesus, we sing to you now. You are cornerstone. I pray that our hope would rest firmly in you. In your name we pray. Amen.